Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hi, everyone. This is Richard. I'm excited to introduce a pretty special episode of the Smart Home Show. Adam's company, ConnectSense, has just released its latest new product, the ConnectSense in-wall outlet. We're going to dive deep into the new product, its origins, and its place in the market. But this isn't a pitch session. It's to give you an understanding of what goes into launching a new product. And that's where we're going to focus the second part of our discussion. Manufacturing, certifications, marketing, support. You may be surprised by everything that's involved and perhaps better understand why so many newcomers' crowdfunded projects fail. So let's get into it now. Hey everyone, I'm Adam Justice from ConnectSense, and welcome to the Smart Home Show. I'm joined as usual by my co-host Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone. Today's a bit of a special episode for me and my team at ConnectSense, as we've been working really hard on the last couple years to build our newest product, the ConnectSense Smart In-Wall Outlet. And on today's show, Richard and I are going to dive into how exactly we came up with this product and chose some of the unique features of it. Additionally, we're going to talk about the grueling process that is launching a product to market and basically what my life's been like for the last many months and years. Okay, and before we start the show, though, I have a question for Richard. So, Richard, what streaming services do you subscribe to now, and what are some of your favorite shows right now? Too many. Too many. I subscribe to too many streaming services. I have Netflix. I have Hulu. Now we're out with Disney Plus. I have Disney Plus. I feel like there's something that I'm missing. I haven't subscribed to CBS because I refuse to pay all of that money for just one service. I think it's like $10 without commercials or something like that for just one network. Ah, not going to do it. What about Apple TV Plus? Well, yeah, but I kind of forget that I'm subscribing to that because free. Yeah, because you bought a phone. Right. So it's, it's something that it, it's just kind of coming without me even thinking about it. But yes, you're right. I also have that. So uh, as far as the shows that I watch, well, I, in addition to streaming, I also have cable. I don't have premiums, but oh, no, see, you're, I, I, that's the other one. I have HBO Go because I get HBO from my wireless service for some reason. So, yeah, so it's really confusing when you want to find a show. And luckily, the Apple TV app, for the most part, does a pretty good job of helping to weed through all of that. As far as the shows that I think are my favorites right now, I, The Crown just started season three of that. We're really enjoying that. I, I, I think it's been cast incredibly well and they've done a really good job with continuity and everything so i'm loving that on disney plus i am so hooked on the mandalorian it's crazy 
And if you're not watching that and you want to, you need to be because spoilers everywhere. Yes. <laughs> and as far as Apple TV Plus, I know it didn't get great reviews, but I love The Morning Show. I think The Morning Show is breaking ground and having conversations that most of America is too afraid to have right now. So I'm really impressed with what they're doing with that show. How about you? What are you watching and, and who do you pay to get your TV from? Well, we're cord cutters. Oh, completely. Yeah, I don't pay for a cable subscription right now. Although my mother-in-law did just come and watch our, our kids and that's like not okay for her. And she likes to watch TV at night while she's going to bed. So I paid for a month of YouTube TV, which is well worth it for the cost of uh, watching my children. Mm -hmm. But in a normal time, we pay for Netflix, mm -hmm. Amazon Prime, which I also kind of don't count because we get it for the shipping stuff and I, we really don't watch much on there. Apple TV Plus also got it for free with a new phone. And I will say, I totally agree. I really like the morning show. So highly recommend that to anybody who has access to, you know, Apple stuff. Uh, yeah, worth watching. There are a couple other Apple TV Plus shows I want to watch. I'm also interested in For All Mankind. And there's a new M. Night Shyamalan one that just dropped the other day. And that's on my list as well. Mm, yeah. Yes. We, we watched the first episode of that. So weird. So, so friggin' weird. My wife is not sure. She doesn't like stuff that's like with creepy children. I totally understand. She doesn't want to be afraid of our own children, apparently. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, she's a little unsure about that one. Also, huge fan of The Mandalorian. We also pay for D Disney Plus, and that one is very good. And I literally was spoiled for that on day one of being on Twitter. So uh, I don't know how you could not be spoiled for that at this point. Yeah, it's yeah. All I will say is it's totally not what I expected it to be, and I'm I'm definitely loving it. And uh, yeah, I'm all things Star Wars this month. That's very cool. Hey, uh, I have a question for you. What is your wireless service? Who do you use for wireless? I'm an AT and T, you know, holdover from Singular. So depending on the plan you have, if you have the AT and T Unlimited plan, you may get a TV service. You may have access to AT&T Watch TV, which is basically like the TV services that you can get from YouTube and Hulu and all of that. And it just comes with the service, but you have to go looking for it. Hmm. Okay. I'll have to check that out. I used to be a DirecTV Now customer and I got that was somehow... A discount on that was included in my wireless, but uh, I don't do that anymore. Um, the other one I do pay for is HBO, and I'm doing that through Apple TV channels. Mm -hmm. uh, again, all lots of different ways. But the, the thing I do like about doing it through Apple TV channels is you can download the content. And my daughter is all about Sesame Street right now. So for us to be able to load up her iPad with Sesame Street stuff when we're going to take a long car trip or whatever, <laughs> it's awesome. Yep. And the last show I'll mention that very into right now and everybody should be watching is The Watchmen. <laughs> Damon Lindelof of Lost Fame is producer on this. It is a nine episode only run. And um, it's set in the Watchmen universe, but is really more of a sequel to the original graphic novel. It's incredibly well done. I think we're about two thirds of the way through and it's only going to be nine episodes. And I really, really love the attention to detail and the story they're telling there. 
I missed one. Amazon Prime. I guess that's kind of a freebie, just like the Apple TV stuff. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. Crazy. Great. So if you want to submit a question for us to open the show, just send it on Twitter with the hashtag AskAdamAndRichard. And I'll say again, we need more in this arena. People have been good about sending the other questions, but but we need more questions to open the show. And if you don't send them, we're just going to keep making them up. So there you go. Well, let's dive into our first discussion. And that is about your new product. So as you mentioned, you guys have been working on this for a long time. The primary consumer product that's branded ConnectSense that people are aware of is the double outlet that you plug into a wall outlet. And you've had two gens of that. Your first generation is now a little over four years old. That's hard to believe. Yeah, kind of crazy. That's really hard to believe. And we worked on it a year up until that too. So yeah, we've been working in this space, consumer smart home for, for over five years now. Yeah. And of course, you know, you've done other things in the company that are related in this space, sensors and so forth. So you had, you had the background there and you've been at CES every year, kind of giving hints about the other stuff that you work on and that you've been thinking about. So you've been building out a back end that you, you partner with other companies to uh, let them use. And you've shown some concepts of products in the past. And the one thing that you've been pretty consistent about is this wall outlet thing that you would, I think for two years, at least two CESs, I believe I've seen the wall outlet as a project that you guys were going to undertake. And it's here now. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about like how you got here and, and what all is in this product. And I guess the first question I would have is, you already have an outlet that's incredibly convenient. You just plug it into the wall. Why one that now I would get out my screwdriver and get out my wire cutters and replace the thing that's already in the wall? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, we saw an opportunity here to kind of keep going. And, you know, certainly a lot of people liked our, our form factor for the, the first two smart outlets we did. But, you know, some people ultimately didn't love having stuff sticking out of their wall, depending on how important it is to have things, you know, look nice and neat and sleek and integrated. You know, some people just wanted, they still wanted that experience you get with a, a smart outlet, but didn't want to have the, you know, the big plastic brick sticking out of the wall. So that was kind of the first and foremost of why we we wanted to kind of continue down this path. Some of the other things were, um, you know, just talking to customers, both on the consumer side and also outside the consumer market, people wanted better energy data. So we provided some some basic energy data in the first outlets, but it wasn't really capable of really detailed energy data. And then, you know, people were just looking for capable and reliable hardware from what was out in the market already. And as well as, you know, most of the stuff that's on the market today is all 15 amps, especially outside the consumer market. There's definitely a broader need for stuff that is 20 amp compatible. So for those that aren't super familiar with 20 amp, you may or may not have these in your home. Definitely, I would look around appliances like maybe your washer dryer. Those usually need higher amp circuitry. Washer almost, almost definitely a washer or maybe a refrigerator 
sometimes uh, sometimes an oven, uh, but oftentimes ovens and dryers, depending on whether it's an electric dryer or not, may actually be running on 220. Right. Yeah. So I mean, the way to see this too is it, it's like the standard plug, but it also has a little kind of side notch in it. So things that are 15 amp, you know, a standard plug can go into a 20 amp outlet, but things that are 20 amp cannot go into a standard 15 amp outlet. It's, the physical plug will not fit. Yep. That makes sense. Now, there are lots of connected outlets in the market already, right? And I mean, you, you could argue that that space is a little commoditized. So I guess the first question about getting into this is like, if you're bringing a product to the space where there are already lots of competitors out there, what are you doing different? Like, how are you differentiating your product from something I might buy at, say, Home Depot that's branded Leviton, like all the other outlets that I see on the shelf? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think there's a couple of things to hit on there. I would say it's more commoditized, definitely on the smart plug side of things and on the external side. And obviously, there's a ton of competition from dumb outlets, but not as competitive in the smart in-wall space. So some of the things we focused on were, you know, something that's super important to us always is to make the setup and use of the product as easy and simple as possible. So when we were looking at this, you know, one of the challenges we had in the setup process is that iOS or Android to do it securely and to do it well, you have to add some extra data as part of the pairing process. And as you know, in HomeKit, you have to pass a HomeKit code. And so we wanted to be able to do that in an easy way. I mean, I think iDevices actually patented like a weird little HomeKit flag that pops out of theirs. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting challenge because an Inwell product, you know, you literally stick the back of it in the wall. It has to be powered to get it paired. You don't necessarily want to put something on the front of the device where people can see it. Uh, the form factor is challenging. So one of the, one of the things that we looked at and ultimately decided on is using NFC for pairing. So whether or not you're aware of this or not, iOS or iPhone 7 and later has the ability to use NFC reading in the device and read NFC tags. And so with that, you can actually use that. It's equivalent to the same data that's in that QR code for HomeKit. And so, you know, we just felt that was a really great and simple way to have that code readily accessible to a user at any time when the device is installed in the wall. So you simply just tap it right in the middle of the outlets and it will initiate the, the pairing process either in our app, if, if you want to kind of go deeper on it or, or in the home app. And we also use that NFC on the Android side as well. It's a little bit different in how we implemented it, but we have additional data that we use for just keeping that process secure and making sure that, you know, you're, you're provisioning the right, the right device. And something cool that we're actually doing on the Android side, you know, I think something that's unique about in-walls is that I think you're more likely to go broader with an in-wall solution than you are necessarily with plugs or smart plugs. Mm -hmm. So for somebody that's going to go big on this and put a lot of these in their home, we wanted to make it as easy as possible. And so on the Android side, we're, we're securely storing your Wi-Fi credentials in the app and 
as you provision subsequent devices, you're literally just tapping it and we're going to send the the Wi-Fi credentials right to the device. Nice. And the chipset we use uses BLE for for provisioning. So um, we're able to send that. We use the data in that tag to find the right BLE for that outlet and then pass it the uh, the data. So um, it's a pretty sleek process and, and we're able to do it really quickly on Android and on iOS. Very cool. And then I guess one other thing kind of in the install space, most in-wall devices, whether it's a, a light switch or an outlet, will kind of come with wires on the back of it. And then you use these wire, complicated wire nuts, kind of connect your wires to the wires on the device. Yeah, sometimes they're called like a pigtail. Right. And then you have to cram all that back into the wall when you're installing this device. So, you know, given the constraints that you have in a in-wall form factor, obviously space is, is really, really important. And so as is that space in the wall, obviously adding all the circuitry for Wi-Fi and control and energy monitoring and stuff takes up space. So we wanted to have as little of a need for extra stuff in the wall as possible. So we did terminals on the back of the device rather than having the wires and the wire nuts. So I think it makes for a little bit simpler of a process. I talked to some electricians and through the process here and they they really like that of not having to deal with wire nuts and, and extra stuff. So and just to clarify what that means for everybody who hasn't done this themselves, on the back of many outlets, when you install an outlet, there's usually either a screw that you can connect the wire to by looping the wire or a hole that you can slide the wire into. You have kind of a, a clever hybrid of that where the wire itself goes into a hole and then you tighten it into that terminal with a screw on the bottom side of the device. So it's a pretty clever solution. You're right. It avoids that craziness of having the additional wire and the wire nuts, which themselves take up space in the box. Yep. So yeah, additionally, kind of for, for other differentiating things, you know, we wanted to support all the major voice ecosystems. So, you know, I think when you start to look at, at some of the lower priced in walls or just lower price devices in general. You know, we've talked about this before. A lot of those don't support HomeKit. And since HomeKit's something that we've done in the past and and you know know what we're doing there, it was important to us to have that in the in the mix here. On the outlets also, you know, we wanted to have dual control and monitoring. If you go into this space and, and kind of look at all the options and you have to be really careful because sometimes you'll come across something that says it's controllable, but often a lot of the cheaper ones will only support control on one of the two outlets. So dual control and monitoring was, was something very important to us. Now, on the monitoring, is that something that HomeKit has kind of as a capability that it is aware of? Or is that an extension that you've added on top of the normal HomeKit control that this would be able to support? Yeah, we actually did this in the in the earlier outlets as well. So HomeKit doesn't have official characteristics for energy data, 
supported in there. It's something I, I've shared with them and, and kind of expressed like, hey, you guys should add this officially and not something they've expressed interest in. So as a manufacturer, we're able to put in our own custom characteristics. The downside of that is, you know, you're not going to be able to access those in the, the home app. You could, I guess, access it in some of the third-party apps that expose everything. Right. Um, but you would kind of have to know what you're doing. So we do expose it in our app and, and we make it pretty clear. So you could do stuff with that. So some interesting things I've seen done there with that energy data is is things like um, people have used it on a like in a projector setup in a movie theater type thing where when they see energy use in the projector, they use it to dim the lights and, and kind of trigger off of some of that energy data. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. So, yeah. And I also wanted to talk about, you know, in terms of the energy monitoring data, you know, th- there's a lot of devices out there that that support energy monitoring or say that they support energy monitoring. But the data, as we've kind of looked at it, coming out of those devices is not very accurate. And, you know, it's it's not very good. So the analogy I've used a lot here is it's kind of like standard definition versus 4K TV. You know, a lot of these devices are putting out data that standard definition, you might be able to see a little bit of what's going on. But for us, we really wanted to provide very accurate data. So our stuff is within 0.1% accuracy, so very good. And and we actually have a discrete chipset on the board for that energy monitoring data. And then does that HD-like example, does that also translate to the frequency with which you're capturing that data? It does. I don't remember off the top of my head how frequently we're capturing that data, but how it's presented to the user is we have both daily, monthly and yearly kind of historical data. And we're also telling you kind of in your devices that you have that within wall outlets, kind of what are your biggest energy users in your home? So you can kind of dig into that. And we're also tying that to pricing data. So at launch, we're just using a national average. And, and there actually is a feature where you can put in your custom rate for, for your utility. Coming soon, we're going to add a feature that isn't quite done yet where you'll actually be able to put in your location and pick your own utility and it'll grab the pricing data from, you know, without you having to look it up. And that's not all that straightforward because many providers use a tiered model where based on the time of year or even the time of day, the pricing could be different. Yes, it can be fairly complicated. We do have a a service we're working with that gets into some of that complication. So you basically kind of pick your plan that you're on and it will take that into account in terms of the pricing data. Cool. Yeah. And I mean, I've had some interesting conversations with customers, friends of friends. I talked to somebody, a friend of a friend named Joey just this week. It was a really interesting conversation because he was somebody that was very passionate about solar, has solar on his home, was actually fighting the good fight because he he's fighting his HOA over where his solar panels could be on his house, which sounds super fun. I used to live in a neighborhood with a combative HOA. <laughs> but what stuck out for me with the conversation with Joey was that he's, as somebody who kind of looks at all this data, looks at what he's getting from his solar panels, as well as... Um, what is in his bill and all that. He had a challenge in the past where he didn't realize what was like his power bills were high, but he couldn't figure out why. And so he said to me that, you know, after a ton of digging, he actually found that 
his humidifier was configured weird and was running all the time and and driving his bill way up. So, you know, a few small tweaks to that made a huge difference in his, his energy bill. So that's the kind of thing we're trying to help people become more aware of those small places where, you know, maybe you're using a lot of energy and you didn't realize it. That's kind of cool. Now, one of the things that I noticed when I installed the beta release of the product that I have, I don't know if I was supposed to admit that or not, was that you have these buttons on the device that let you control it from the device, but they're not buttons. You literally just touch the side of the outlet where the outlet is in the two positions of the outlet and you can toggle the state of that outlet right there. So yeah, I talked a little bit about kind of working with a, a small form factor and, and that being difficult. You know, I think when we looked at it, physical buttons were were going to have to be a kind of another thing in the mix. Uh, you know, if we had put physical buttons in there, maybe we wouldn't have been able to do NFC. You know, th- there were definitely things that we had to kind of take into account. So, And is that because the the physical mechanism for a some sort of button that has resistance and everything is going to take up more space than, say, a sensor? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think everything comes into your, your space budget, all the things you have to put into the product. So you kind of have to make these choices. So, and additionally, like buttons can be accidentally hit and triggered. And one of the things we really wanted to do was be able to not have physical controls when you didn't want them. And so, you know, with everything we looked at, capacitive touch, is, which is what this technology is, it's really similar to what's in a smartphone, seemed like a really good fit. You know, we're able to put these capacitive touch sensors throughout the side of the device. And we can do, you know, we can actually do a lot of different things with it. You know, the engineers were trying to be creative and do swipe gestures and stuff early on. And it was a little bit, I didn't like how consistently it it worked. So we ended up focusing and it's now a double tap gesture. So on either of the outlets to to turn it on or off, Um, we wanted it to be very intentional. So that's why we did double tap instead of a single tap. You know, we figured the single tap would be easy to kind of miss trigger. Mm -hmm. And, And we wanted to be able to turn off those. So you can actually lock out the controls from the app. So for security or safety reasons. So I've heard that a lot from people with small children. I have small children myself. You know, you don't want them to be able to mess with it. So you want them to be, you know, we want to be able to turn off the power to an outlet and make sure that they can't control it. Or similarly, you might want to be able to ensure that the power is always on and doesn't get accidentally turned off depending on your use case. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think with the power monitoring abilities that we have, there's a lot of interesting use cases where maybe you just want to monitor the power of something. You know, you mentioned a refrigerator earlier. If you want to know what what your refrigerator is costing you, this would certainly be a good solution. But you probably don't want to ever shut your refrigerator off. And you want to make sure that, you know, that's not the case. So, yeah, absolutely. That's that's a use case as well. Cool. Now, you talked about the 20 amp version, and that's probably what you would use with most refrigerators or a washer, something like that. Are there other 20 amp devices out there? Because you can certainly buy 20 amp plugs, but I'm not aware of other 20 amp smart plugs. 
Right. Yeah. As far as I'm aware, there really is little to no other controllable and metered 20 amp outlets in the market. So I think that's something that's pretty unique and something that we're excited about. As we said, I think there's only a few small places in the home where that might be helpful. And we're certainly want to explore those. But we think this is going to be a much bigger play in commercial buildings where 20 amp is more often a requirement and a lot more important. Okay, that makes sense. And then, of course, you're selling this in the United States. And so it has to be properly certified. But I mean, if I went on Amazon and just started looking for inexpensive, maybe offshore built and marketed devices, they are certified too if they're used in the US, aren't they? Not always. So I I think when you look at these Oftentimes, lower price devices will be ETL certified. So it's still a certification, but it's not really as strong as a UL certification. And in some cases, some electrical codes actually require UL. So why is UL important? In general, UL is testing for safety and fire hazards. So they put these products through a battery of tests that is absolutely grueling. And so, you know, if, if safety and, and all that is really important for you, you know, it's something you're going to want to look at, uh, look for on, on the products that you buy, because some of those other standards are, are not quite as, as rigorous. And as we were working on this product, UL actually changed their standards. Always kind of fun because you kind of start down one path and then, you know, the the ground shifts out from under you. But (laughs) what was interesting is, you know, a lot of the competition has certified under this old standard and that old standard is expiring. And what that means is eventually in the next year or two here, they won't be able to produce new product under that existing standard. They can sell what they have, but you can't build any more. So any new product they build would have to be under this new standard. Meaning that it needs to be recertified. And maybe in some cases, that means re-engineered. Absolutely. And I would say probably a lot of cases re-engineered because (laughs) this was a much more difficult standard to pass. I don't know all the details. That's for my, my VB of engineering probably lost a ton of sleep over that. All I can say to, to describe this process you know, depending on whether or not you're a video gamer, you're going to get this or not. But it's like playing a video game on, you know, the hardest mode and you get a little bit further and you die. Then you get a little bit further and then you die. Mm-hmm. You get a little bit further and you die. That's me not even on the hard mode. That's just me playing video games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this this was a long process. I don't even know at, at this point, you know, that we were going through years ago to try to try to get this product certified and, and through. So um, we went through a lot of different stuff to, to get there. And I, I won't go into all our secrets, but definitely some hairs were turned gray or, or fell out uh, through that process. Okay. So there's a lot in this product. And it's clearly different than the other products that you're going to see out there on the market. That's great. In six months time, in a year's time, people are going to be asked, well, what's new? What's it going to do for me now? And when you buy a connected product, and we've talked about this a number of times, people expect it to get better and better over time. So have you thought about ways that you might enhance this product once it's out in the market? Yeah. And and I'll say this this hardware has a ton of raw power in it that we that we haven't tapped into yet. 
as always, you got to kind of put the the baseline down. And, you know, in some respects, we also want to see what people do with it and what what customers want to it to do with it. So I look forward to talking to our customers and, and really getting feedback from them. So I won't go into great details on, on this because, you know, I want to keep some of it to ourselves until it's out. But I'll give you an idea of kind of where our head's at on this. You know, with that really great energy monitoring data that we have, I want to make it easier for people to do something with that data. So, you know, right now, if you see something using a lot of energy, then you're going to have to do some things manually yourself. I'd love to to make that process easier for people in the future. In general, there's just a lot we can tell from the data we have about the device that's plugged in. And I think there's some really cool things we'll be able to do in the future with that data just to, to provide a better user experience. All right. So let's say that I'm a consumer and I'm convinced when and where. Yeah. So as we release this now, this product is now available. So you, you're going to be able to buy it at ConnectSense.com. And it'll also be on Amazon.com at launch. Definitely appreciate everybody who's listened to the show and, you know, hope that you uh, pick one up and, and check it out. And I'd love to hear more from you about it. Very cool. Now, I think we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors and we'll return with more smart home discussion after that. All right, we are back, and um, we wanted to talk a little bit about just this whole process that goes into launching a product and all that's involved in it, and basically what I've been living every day for the last few months, you know, years, etc. So, yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I do when I'm consulting with a company on product is try and help them think about all the different things that go into taking an idea to market. And we're not going to go from idea to market, but if if you have a product design and it involves hardware, that's like a whole other thing from taking software to market. And my expertise is really in the software side. So you have so much more to think about with the hardware piece because you have what you need to create reference designs, you need to shop out manufacturing, you have all these certifications. So let's dive into some of like all that goes into this process. Yeah, I mean, I think from, you know, early on as you define a product, then you kind of have to do, you know, uh, initial prototypes, you have to go into plastics manufacturing. So that's a whole process where, you know, you have to make metal tools and, and work with people to get that just right. And that's a that's a process where you, you know, you get samples and you say, all right, well, you know, this is wrong. The color is wrong. This is, you know, all the all the kind of ins and outs of that. So that stuff happens really early on. And and has a lot of back and forth with it as well. And and depending on where the people you're working with are at, in the case of our, our plastics were done in, in Asia. So, you know, you're shipping stuff back and forth, you know, halfway across the world. So that kind of stuff can be very time consuming. As far as, you know, hardware design and stuff goes too, we would typically do quick turn boards hmm. and um, use that for prototypes. So, you know, we're testing stuff 
in office here just with boards and, and kind of doing some early stuff there. And that's, you know, not even to mention stuff like we talked about the UL approval process. So as you're going through those types of certifications and those kinds of processes, you know, designs can change as you're as you're going through that grueling video game. Sometimes you, you're going to hit a roadblock that's going to require you to change boards and change components and all that kind of stuff. So that's why um, it can take a long time to get through, you know, some of these processes. And each one of those, I mean, you know, you're just talking about the hardware piece of it, right? There's software that goes with all of that software that exists on that board to run the device and then software that you have to build out for whatever either front-end consumer experience needs to exist in an app or whatever infrastructure needs to exist in the cloud to make it work. Yeah, so it's it's a really, you know, we have a really nice tightly integrated team where yeah you've got one guy who's working on firmware which is the the software that goes on the device you've got other engineers that are working on the cloud backend um, the various apps for for ios and android and not only that but you also have to do software and also hardware for the manufacturing process and just support all that so you know as in the manufacturing process we have testers at different area you know parts of the manufacturing process so probably at larger companies those are all different teams and different people but for us you know being a smaller company you know we have some of the same engineers working on different pieces of that as well yeah that makes sense that makes sense so yeah, and then, you know, as you wrap those things up, you know, you got to go through the process of submitting and certifying all those kinds of things. So, you know, in in the last few weeks here, we've submitted our apps to the iOS and Android uh app stores. You got to go through approvals for that. There's a ton of approvals you have to go through just for any electronic product, let alone a connected one and and all that. So, stuff like FCC for anything that's wireless has to go through, you know, FCC approvals. And I hadn't even considered that. I mean, you have to file that pretty early on in your design process, don't you? Yeah, you absolutely do. And, and it actually has to go through physical testing, too. So they want to make sure you're using approved spectrums and that the radiation is not too high and all that kind of stuff. So um, that's a whole process uh, as well. And then, you know, for the stuff in the smart home space, we're having to go through certifications for, you know, Apple, for Amazon, for Google, and they all have their own different kind of requirements, some easier and, and others more involved. And and then once you get through those, they also have, you know, certain requirements around, you know, packaging and hardware certification, app testing, things like that. So, you know, you get into things like how people's logos look on your box and all, all that kind of stuff. So there's a ton of, of kind of hoops to jump through there. And at that point, I mean, we haven't even talked about what it takes to manufacture this stuff, right? Like you talked about plastics and stuff, and now you have all these components, just like the plastics, you have components that are going back and forth that you need to be creating and sometimes sourcing yeah. from multiple locations. So yeah, I mean, components are coming from all over the world, different vendors, things like that. And sometimes those lead times on some components can be, you know, months long. You know, literally, we even had this process 
where, uh, you know, our guys are at the factory getting things ready and they couldn't build units because they were missing a screw. So you can you can do your whole job and and be missing one small piece and and it it stops everything. So it's just like bringing that IKEA box home. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I I guess the like the the thing that I'm curious about there is did you with your product launch have you know after you ordered the custom like exterior stuff, the stuff that you designed then in terms of the interior components, the electronics and stuff like that, did you have the the benefit of being able to use pre-existing components or did you have to design some of them yourself and get them custom built? Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody's things are going to be different, but definitely on this product, all of those individual boards are completely custom design. In general, we're working with off-the-shelf components, but in some cases, we're having to special order components just the way we need them and special things, you know, for that. So, um, but yeah, there's a lot of custom work that goes into, um, you know, very intricate uh, design in, in those individual boards. And for this product, I think it even has three separate boards that go into kind of a stack design for this. So it's a very complicated and well-integrated product. And did you do all of this virtually or through the mail, or did you have some people flying around the globe? Yeah, we did. We had a number of people from our team that that went to our our manufacturing partner and kind of worked through that the initial units and and make sure that we're validating the testing and training them up on how to produce these and just kind of working together as a team. So, you know that definitely appreciate all of their time and, and hard work of kind of digging in and, and getting that done. So it's definitely a partnership and one where we want to make sure we can educate our manufacturing partners on how to best do this. We're also trying to make sure we're kind of looking for all the edge cases where something can go wrong. So on a manufacturing floor, you want to be able to test for various things that a component's placed wrong or uh, there's too much solder. Or there's all kinds of, uh, this isn't really my field, but there's all kinds of things that can go wrong along that process. And you want to make sure you're catching those on the line so that those units are pulled and don't get out to a, a customer. So um, there's really extensive testing that's done at, at kind of every step of the process to make sure that you know what you get in your final package is, is something that's going to work well, last well, and, and be exactly what we want it to be to go out to a customer. Most of everything that we've talked about has been focused on the hardware side. Most of the rest of the stuff that you have to do, though, I think we could say probably applies to both software and hardware product launches. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, from here, mostly talking about kind of the the marketing and PR efforts that go into sharing a product with the world. From an internal perspective, we're doing, you know, a ton of stuff in terms of updating our website, marketing pages, support items, we're getting documentation ready, and also training internal staff. You know, as Richard mentioned to me earlier, you know, in some cases, people even have external support or other people they have to train too. So it can be quite an extensive process there. Yeah. So if you have, for example, an offshore or just 
out of house support team that provides your support desks help for customers, you have to make sure that they either have the materials that they need or that they've gone through training on the new product, depending on how extensive it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you want to educate those people as much as you can so they can kind of take on initial questions and you don't have too much going up to tier two or tier three support. And you mentioned website updates. It's not really just that, okay, well, we have marketing pages for this. You're changing your product catalog that's online. You're adding it to your online store. If you have one, there might be pricing considerations that you have to take to be redundant into consideration as you're setting that up, because maybe you want to be able to occasionally sell it at a discount or something like that. So all of that stuff has to be set up before you get the product out there. Yeah. And as you said, like sometimes that can be in multiple systems. So like one of the things we wanted to do was offer bundles for people who want to buy these in higher volume. If, if you want to put these in your whole house, we want to, you know, incentivize you with, with good pricing on that. So we had to go into our backend system and put all those part numbers in and all the, you know, all that kind of flows. So uh, it, it can often be a coordination of a lot of different items. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, if you're working with a PR agency, then there's a possibility that some of this stuff can be either supported or assisted by them. Like they may drive some of this marketing work and and maybe even get into things like some of the the documentation, maybe imagery that you use in your documentation. So you know, you can get a support assistance on this depending on how you're structured and what your budget is and what your needs are. Yeah. And in our case, we have different partners we work with for different things. We have a marketing partner that helped us particularly with doing photo shoots and a lot of the digital assets, as well as they're helping with a lot of the online marketing. Our PR firm typically sticks to more just kind of working with the press and, and kind of facilitating all the stuff around that. So I think it's different in, you know, in some people's cases, they have PR folks internal. In that case, it might be more integrated, but everybody's a little bit different there. But yeah, for us, we're working with PR to, they're kind of our, our channel to different press. And we work with an agency that has some other smart home customers in, in their, in their mix. So I find they, they have some pretty good relationships with all the tech press and, and various kind of other outlets. So we work with them to send out review units and answer questions as people are, are digging into the product. And so, yeah, there's, that's all a lot of work that goes towards, you know, hopefully in the end, somebody writing something nice about, about your product in their publication. <laughs> well, or in reviews online, if you have just independent bloggers that might find the product. Like getting information out there to people is really important for then others to pick it up. And, you know, even reviews that you might want people to post on Amazon as well, right? Like if you're selling your product on Amazon, then the more information that people have available to them as they're providing their thoughts on it, the better. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think worth mentioning too is like the traditional major publications, things have evolved so 
so broadly from there too. There's now, you know, influencer marketing and micro influencers and all the things that people are doing on YouTube. And so it's, it's not what it used to be where you, you know, you would send something to a, a newspaper or even a blog. It, it can be even broader than that now. And, and just a lot of different people that you could be involved in. And, you know, it, it's all going to depend on what, you know, your budget is how many units you're able to give out, all those kinds of things of whether how broadly you work and just kind of your your capability and time too to support all those things. Now, you mentioned that you're going to sell this both on your own site and at Amazon. And so those are two different distribution methods that you need to deal with, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways to work with Amazon. Previously, we had sold product directly to them. We're changing that a little bit where we're now going to operate in more of a seller central kind of respect. So it's kind of weird. You still send product to them. They house it in their warehouse. It still has a prime badge on it. It just kind of some of the things on the back end change. And and in terms of a a seller, we have a lot more control over that. When we were shipping our Smart Outlet 2, Last year, you know, we had trouble when we were launching it of actually getting Amazon to place orders so we could get it. You know, customers wanted to buy it on Amazon, but they have algorithms and all kinds of stuff in the back end that determine some of that stuff of when they actually place orders. So that can be a challenge on that side. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do that. But yeah, the the seller central way is, I think, how we're going to do it going forward. And then stuff like what you're doing now talking about your product on podcasts, just kind of grassroots information sharing is what we're doing here. But, you know, if you're Apple, you potentially make your announcement on stage in front of thousands of people and millions of viewers. And there's what goes into planning all of that, right? Like it, it just the, the scope of the announcement itself and drumming up interest and excitement about the product is enormous, how that can vary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I can only imagine what goes into some of their launches and things like that. So uh, we don't quite have the budget for uh, keynotes and flying people out and all that. But And you're not doing something like uh, Microsoft's miserable Windows 7 launch party? You're not going to send out party kits for people that they can have outlet launches? Yeah, I don't know about that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I would avoid that. I don't think that went so well for them. Yes. So sometimes people get creative and uh, it doesn't always work out. So, I mean, I'm sure that we haven't touched on everything that every company deals with when they're launching a product. But I think this gives people a better idea of what this takes. You know, last time we talked, we talked about the economics of it, like what contributes to the cost of something. And this time we're really digging into what it takes to then take the product that you came up with and get it out there. We didn't even really spend much time talking about designing packaging and figuring out what documentation goes into the box and all of that sort of stuff. Like there's a ton into just that has to do with packaging the product and making it a shippable product as well. So hopefully this gives folks a good idea of, um, well, 
maybe why that Kickstarter is a couple months late. <laughs> yeah, and why sometimes people uh, get in a little over their head because they don't realize what all goes into it. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think a lot of folks have an idea. They think it's a great idea. They have a business plan and don't understand what it's going to take to pull it off. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for all of your insight on that. I think that's really helpful. And I certainly enjoyed that discussion. Let us answer a question from one of our audience members to wrap up the show. This question comes from Mark. And Mark asks, when installing smart home products, do you install them yourself? And what types of steps do you take for electrical safety? Wow, this is a good question. I think it's timely considering everything we just talked about. So, Adam, let's let let's have you answer this one. Okay. Well, so I would say I'm fairly comfortable with light home electricity work. Um, this to me mainly falls to light switches and outlets. I think the main safety question here is to switch off the power or not. I'm the son of an engineer and my dad was always like, meh, you know, just do it, do it with the live. It's not going to kill you kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, I definitely recall one time he came over to help me install a ceiling fan and we were doing it live and I'm up on a ladder and touched something I shouldn't have touched, got shocked, fell off the ladder. Like we're talking like a foot or two, nothing that hurt me, but still pretty embarrassing. And dad's just laughing at me as I'm, you know, sitting in slight pain on the ground after being slightly electrocuted. So I don't always turn off the power myself, but I do recommend it. And some of the bad things that have happened when I didn't turn off the power in the past is you can also, you know, obviously there's, there's injury risk, but you can also fry whatever hardware that you're trying to install or damage it if it doesn't, you know, come on right or gets, you know, voltage incorrectly applied to it. So right. from that reason alone, I think it's probably worth worth doing. Yeah. If your personal safety isn't of concern to you, then maybe don't fry your electronics. Yes. The other thing I would say is electrical tape is your friend. Any kind of loose wires, <laughs> I, I always just kind of go a little crazy with the electrical tape because better safe than sorry here. You never want, you know, the wrong wires touching or a wire to touch the, you know, the inner box or any of that can go wrong. So, you know, lots of electrical tape. And just in general for anything installation related, I feel like one of the things I think I do best is I know my limits and my capabilities. And I know when I've reached those limits and I call a professional. A great example of this, not electrical related, but I was installing uh, my Schlage lock in our home and there was an issue where the deadbolt pocket in my door was not deep enough and I was getting an error with the lock. It needed to be oh, yeah, so deep. And... I started to look into this and I was like, no way here. I am going to screw up my door. You know, it is not a cheap, you know, wood door. This is not going to go well. So I knew what my limitation was. I called the carpenter. Even the carpenter I called was like, I'm not super confident about this and I'm not making any guarantees, but I will do this if you want me to do it. So wow, clearly that was the right choice. So I think in anything home improvement, if you get to a point where you're feeling nervous about it, call a professional. I think that's my best advice, you know, through and through is know what you're capable of. And, you know, sure, you can learn some things or, or kind of go on YouTube. But 
if you're really not comfortable with it, call a professional. It will be worth your time because if something goes wrong, you're going to end up calling a professional anyways. So why not save yourself some hassle? <laughs> yeah, that, I think that's some really good advice. So I have a question for you when you're saying that you use electrical tape. I'm assuming you also use electrical connectors of some sort. Do you just use regular old wire nuts or do you have a, a preferred connector for electrical wires? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the product. Light switches, I'll typically use wire nuts. Most stuff comes with wire nuts um, to do that. Our in-wall outlet, actually one of the kind of you know unique features there too is that it doesn't require those wire nuts, which gives some extra space. So you know that's a nice thing in terms of stuff in the wall. But definitely for light switches, typically I'm using some wire nuts or things like that. How about you? A couple of years ago, I found those slip-in connectors that you can buy at Home Depot and some other stores, and I've been really partial to those. Although I have found that with some types of wire, particularly the the kind of wire that's actually created by a bunch of smaller wires being twisted together, yep. those don't work so well in them. Either they get crimped up sometimes or they're really, really hard to get out. I have since learned of a similar type of product that actually has like a, a tension clip where you can just loosen and then clip closed both slip sockets in it. And I was trying to look up the brand of those before we started and I wasn't able to find it. But that's something that I think is really, really a time saver. And I will I'll find that link and we can put that in the show notes for people. Sounds great. Well, if you have a smart home question for us, um, you can send it our way using the hashtag AskSmartHomeShow, and we'll try to pick a question to include in each show. All right, Adam, we're at the end. So let people know where they can find you if they want more information about you, your company, or, oh, I don't know, maybe they want to buy your new product. Yeah. So go to ConnectSense.com and buy that smart in-wall outlet. You can find everything the company's doing at on social platforms at ConnectSense on Twitter or Instagram. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Justice. How about you, Richard? You can find my writings over at thedigitalmediazone.com. And my other home on podcast is also hosted there. And then finally, I am on Twitter as Richard Gunther. Just my name spelled out, Richard Gunther. And this show is hosted on smarthome.fm. We have our website. So you can find show notes and more details about each episode there. And if you want to just get it right out of your podcast player, go to Apple Podcasts, Overcast, or wherever you play podcasts. But before we leave, I want to remind people, this is part of technology.fm. And we're really excited to be a part of a network that includes Lots of other shows like Home Tech FM, The Food Tech Show, my other show, Home On. There's even a show in there about Bitcoin. There's a show that talks about different types of technology inside products like, like the chips and stuff like that. So check it out. It's pretty interesting. And uh, if you like the shows, the best thing you can do is tell your friends about it. Because that helps people find out about us. They subscribe. We get more numbers. It's all good. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thanks for listening. 